Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, everyone. I am very pleased to welcome you back to another episode of the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. And you guessed it, Dr. Casey Grover here again as your host. I am getting down to the wire on studying for my addiction medicine boards. I take them on October the 27th. That's this month. I normally try to get two or more episodes published per month, but time is a little tight this month with studying, so I will see what I can do. Today's episode will be on the topic of stimulant withdrawal. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of literature on this topic, so we will be using a variety of sources. As I often do on this podcast, I will outline the knowledge-seeking journey that I took to put together this episode. Why this topic? It seems like every day now in my emergency department that we have at least one person who is sleeping off their methamphetamine intoxication and patients will often complain of feeling withdrawal from stimulants. I don't know about you, but I was taught that stimulants didn't have a withdrawal syndrome. So, it was time for a podcast episode on this topic. I started by diving into PubMed, and I didn't really find anything on stimulant withdrawal when I searched for that term. I couldn't find anything that was published in the past 10 years. I tried searching for methamphetamine withdrawal and cocaine withdrawal individually, and I found a few articles, but I was really looking to find something on stimulant withdrawal in general. Fortunately, I was able to find a paper on stimulants that we'll use as a part of our evidence-based guide for this episode. It covers quite a few different aspects of stimulant use, and I will likely be coming back to it again for episodes in the future. So we will start with that paper. It's entitled, Understanding Stimulant Use and Use Disorders in a New Era. It's published in Medical Clinics of North America in 2022. Daniel Cicciaroni and Steve Shoptaw are the two authors. This paper, as I mentioned, is a great overview of stimulants And for this episode, we're only going to focus on the sections on stimulant withdrawal. The paper has a section entitled, Management of Stimulant Withdrawal Symptoms, and we're going to start there. This section of the paper opens with the following sentence, quote, Abstinence after prolonged use can produce withdrawal symptoms defined by the DSM-5, which include trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating, tiredness, fatigue, irritability, agitation, anxiety, sadness, depression, and an inability to perform normal activities, 
end quote. And that was all the paper did to describe stimulant withdrawal. And I thought, hmm, that's not enough for me. I need more on this. So I cracked open my addiction medicine textbook, the ASAM Essentials of Addiction Medicine, third edition, and went to chapter 54, which was management of stimulant, hallucinogen, marijuana, fencyclidine, and club drug intoxication and withdrawal. The authors of this chapter are Jeffrey Wilkins, Etai Donovich, and David Gorlick. You might remember this reference from episode 35 on hallucinogen intoxication. So, what did I find here? Not much either. The chapter has a very short section on stimulant withdrawal, and here are the high points. We will start with a quote. Quote, Abrupt cessation of stimulant use is associated with depression, anxiety, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, anhedonia, increased drug craving, increased appetite, hypersomnolence, and increased dreaming. End quote. Pretty similar to what I found in the paper. The chapter from the ASAM Essentials of Addiction Medicine did add a bit more, noting that the symptoms of stimulant withdrawal are usually mild and self-limited, resolving over one to two weeks. It turns out also that there is a risk of myocardial ischemia in the first week of stimulant withdrawal. And that was the end of the section in the book on stimulant withdrawal. So I don't feel like we've got enough information on this topic yet. Fortunately, stimulant withdrawal is in the DSM-5. So let's go through the diagnostic criteria for stimulant withdrawal in the DSM-5 and see if that helps. Here we go. Stimulant withdrawal is defined in the DSM-5 as, quote, a withdrawal syndrome that develops within a few hours to several days after the cessation or marked reduction in stimulant use, generally high dose, that has been prolonged, end quote. The definition continues. In order to make the diagnosis of stimulant withdrawal, there are furthermore four criteria. Number one, there has been a cessation of, or reduction in, prolonged amphetamine-type substance, cocaine, or other stimulant use. Number two, the patient has developed a dysphoric mood and at least two of the following physiological changes developing within a few hours to several days after cessation or reduction of use. And these changes include fatigue, vivid or unpleasant dreams, insomnia or hypersomnia, increased appetite, and psychomotor retardation or agitation. Number three, the symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. And number four, the symptoms are not attributable to another medical condition and are not better explained by another mental disorder, including intoxication or withdrawal from another substance. So we really should have gone with the DSM-5 criteria first. That was really helpful. So now we know what to look for to diagnose stimulant withdrawal. What do we do 
to treat it. For this, we go back to the article, Understanding Stimulant Use and Use Disorders in a New Era. The authors note that stimulant withdrawal in the acute care setting often presents with agitation, and for this, they recommend antipsychotics. It turns out that these medications are only useful in the acute care setting and are not recommended as medications to continue after discharge from the acute care setting. The authors note that most stimulant withdrawal symptoms are mild to moderate in severity and rarely last over five weeks, so they do not provide any recommendation on medications for discharge from the acute care setting. While withdrawal symptoms may be mild and short-lived, cravings for stimulants after abstinence may be persistent. Unfortunately, there are not any medications that are approved for stimulant withdrawal or stimulant use disorder, which leaves us with behavioral interventions for our patients to curb further use of stimulants. Examples of such treatment would include cognitive behavioral therapy, contingency management, and behavioral activation therapy. Now, I went back to Chapter 54 of the ASAM Essentials of Addiction Medicine, and again, that's the chapter on management of stimulant, hallucinogen, marijuana, fencyclidine, and club drug intoxication and withdrawal to get more information. The authors of this chapter agree with the authors of the paper that we just reviewed, no medication has been consistently effective in trials or approved for stimulant withdrawal or stimulant use disorder. The authors of this chapter note that symptoms of stimulant withdrawal are best treated supportively. As in, if the patient has insomnia, prescribe a non-addictive sleep aid. Exercise, as we discussed in episode 18 of this podcast on post-acute withdrawal syndrome, can be very helpful in the recovery process from stimulant use. The authors of the chapter further note that if depression after cessation from stimulant use lasts for more than several weeks, then an antidepressant should be considered. So, at this point, we've reviewed a paper and a book chapter that both have pretty brief discussions of stimulant withdrawal syndrome, including treatment. I think we have a basic understanding of what stimulant withdrawal is at this point in this podcast episode and how to treat it, but I still don't feel like I've gotten enough nitty-gritty details on what stimulant withdrawal is actually like. So I moved on from PubMed and textbooks to a general internet search. And I found an article on the website withdrawal.net by a company called American Addiction Centers on the topic of stimulant withdrawal that shed a lot more light on this topic. This article is written by Amanda Lautieri. They don't provide any credentials for Amanda, but the article was reviewed and approved by a Dr. Scott Thomas, M.D., so we know that there has been at least some medical oversight and review for your accuracy. So we're going to go through this article. We'll take it with a grain of salt as it's not peer-reviewed, but it does provide a great overview of stimulant withdrawal that I felt helped me to understand better what stimulant withdrawal was really like for patients. The author starts with some basic information that we've already covered in this episode, 
So let's skip forward to the good stuff. The article starts with the signs and symptoms of stimulant withdrawal, and they review the DSM-5 criteria. Symptoms to review in the DSM-5 criteria for stimulant withdrawal include fatigue, psychomotor retardation or agitation, unpleasant dreams, increased or decreased sleep, and increased appetite. However, the author moves on to describe that stimulant withdrawal may include depression and suicidal ideation, along with a list of other symptoms that include dehydration, weight loss, chills, cravings to use stimulants, anxiety, irritability, impaired memory, dulled senses, anhedonia, and lack of interest in social interactions. The author moves on to describe the phases of stimulant withdrawal. And again, take this with a grain of salt as it's not a peer-reviewed publication, but once again, the article was read and approved by a physician. The author notes that stimulant withdrawal varies person to person, with pertinent variables including which stimulant was used, how long it was used, and how it was used. The author also notes that methamphetamine has a longer half-life than cocaine, so the withdrawal from methamphetamine will take longer. The author moves on to lay out what she believes is a common experience of stimulant withdrawal in several phases. Phase 1 is the early crash phase. This is the period directly after cessation of stimulants. There are initial feelings of anxiety, sadness, agitation, and cravings. The patient may move into a period of mental and physical exhaustion, and patients may feel depressed, irritable, or scattered in the brain. Phase 2 is the middle crash phase. This is the period 24 to 36 hours after the initial crash phase. This is characterized by an intense desire for sleep. If sleep does not occur, patients will likely feel fatigue both emotionally and physically. It is at this point, according to the author, that patients coming off methamphetamine may look for other substances, such as sedatives, to feel better. And finally, phase three, the late crash phase. The author does not define this time frame very well, but this is a period which is characterized by excessive sleepiness during the day and prolonged periods of sleep at night. Any prolonged symptoms of stimulant withdrawal, which would be lasting more than several weeks, would likely fall under the category of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Once again, for a review on post-acute withdrawal syndrome, check out episode 18 of this podcast. This final article, once again not peer-reviewed in the traditional sense, but reviewed and approved by a physician, discusses some final additional aspects of stimulant withdrawal that are worth discussing. First, severe mood changes and depressive symptoms during stimulant withdrawal may lead to suicidal ideation or self-harm. And second, patients experiencing stimulant withdrawal may turn to other substances to self-medicate, such as alcohol, benzodiazepines, or opioids, which can obviously complicate substance use treatment and lead to withdrawal from more than one substance at a time. 
And that actually wraps up this episode. This is a relatively quick one. Let's put together some take-home points on stimulant withdrawal. Number one, stimulant withdrawal, according to the DSM-5, is a withdrawal syndrome that develops within a few hours to several days after the cessation of or marked reduction in stimulant use, generally high dose, that has been prolonged. Number two, the DSM-5 defines stimulant withdrawal by the following four criteria. One, there has been a cessation of or reduction in prolonged stimulant use. Two, there is a dysphoric mood and at least two of the following symptoms that develop within hours to days after a cessation or reduction of stimulant use. Symptoms include fatigue, abnormal dreams, changes in sleep, increased appetite, agitation, or psychomotor retardation. Three, these symptoms cause clinically significant impairment. And four, these symptoms are not explained by another disorder. Number three, most stimulant withdrawal is mild to moderate, resolving over several weeks. Number four, treatment for stimulant withdrawal is supportive such as non-addictive sleep aids to help with sleep and exercise to help with fatigue and mood. Number five, patients can experience intense cravings for stimulants during stimulant withdrawal, which creates risk for relapse. Number six, patients who have stimulant withdrawal should also receive treatment for stimulant use disorder, such as cognitive behavioral therapy or contingency management. And number seven, immediately after cessation of stimulant use, patients may experience a, quote, crash, which may involve intense dysphoric emotions, exhaustion, and sleep. And that's all I've got for this episode. If you find this podcast helpful, please consider sharing it with a colleague. And with that, I just wanted to say once again, thank you for listening and thank you for what you do. And don't forget, treating Substance use disorders saves lives.